Welcome to Understanding Congress, a podcast about the first branch of government. Congress is a notoriously complex institution, and few Americans think well of it. But Congress is essential to our republic. It's a place where our pluralistic society is supposed to work out its differences and come to agreement about what our laws should be. And that is why we are here to discuss our national legislature and to think about ways to upgrade it so it can better serve our nation. I'm your host, Kevin Kosar, and I'm a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C. The topic of this episode is, what is the congressional debt limit? To answer that question, we are once again speaking with Philip Wallach. He was the very first guest on this podcast where we pondered why we even need a Congress. Phil, as you probably recall, is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and the author of the book, Why Congress, which was published by Oxford University Press in 2023. Phil has written previously about the debt limit which makes him the right person to ask our question of the day. What is the congressional debt limit? Phil, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. All right, let's start by getting clear on what we're talking about. There are deficits and there is debt. How do these two things differ? It's a stocks versus flow kind of thing. We have each year spending and revenue, uh, In almost all years in recent memory, we have more spending than revenue. That creates a deficit. Uh, So the accumulation of all the past deficits is the total. It's the debt. So uh, the the debt is our grand, grand total of all the spending we've done minus the revenue we've taken in. And it is now officially north of $30 trillion. So when the Treasury needs to issue more debt, it's got to sell bonds. Basically, these IOUs that say, please give us money that we can spend now and we'll pay you back later. Is that essentially what's happening when we're taking on more debt? Yeah, a a bond is a legally obligating instrument and debt put out by the United States government is considered the lowest risk kind of debt instrument in all the world. So uh, the government is is saying not just uh, if we feel in a good mood, we'll pay you back, but we are legally obligated to pay you back with interest. And uh, that's very valuable to investors. And of course, United States bonds form sort of the gold standard of collateral used not only in this country, but around the world in the global financial system. So this leads us to an important point, which is that, yeah, it's this executive agency called the U.S. Treasury that is issuing debt, but it doesn't do it simply at the behest of the president. Uh, the president can't say, well, let's just issue as much debt as we want on this day of the week or during this year. We have a law that limits the amount of debt. That is, our legislature has a role here. We keep finding ourselves in, with some frequency, where Congress will run these yearly deficits, where they're spending more than the revenue coming in, and the debt grows and grows and grows, and all of a sudden we hit this kind of legally mandated limit, and then Congress has to vote to pass a new law 
so that the limit is set higher, so that more debt can be issued. So let's just turn back the clock. Um, this practice of setting a debt limit by law, why do we have it? And when did Congress first start doing it? Okay, so go all the way back to the Constitution. Uh, Article 1, Section 8 lists Congress's powers and gives pretty clearly the power of the purse to Congress. So Congress is responsible for making decisions about spending and taxation. And it's also, therefore, responsible for making decisions about financing deficits. All the way through the 19th century and early 20th century, whenever the Treasury wanted to sell debt, Congress would actually specifically vote to approve every single bond issue. Now, I didn't really think very hard about the way it did that. The Treasury Secretary pretty much came over and said, this is what we'd like, and Congress generally said, okay, that sounds all right with us. But it was, in fact, approving every single bond issue. Now, we come to World War One, and the United States was federal government was spending money like never before, and Congress started to feel like this was really too much of a burden for it to have to approve every single bond issue. So instead, in 1917, it put in place a ceiling, a limit. So up to this amount, Treasury can issue bonds as it sees necessary. And then at, once it hits that amount, it's going to have to come back to us. We'll have to raise the ceiling. We'll have to involve the legislature again. But they put in place a dollar limit and periodically raised that. Somewhere around World War II, it sort of took a modern statutory form. And ever since then, Congress has been raising the debt limit periodically because we keep accumulating more debt uh, such that if we didn't raise the limit, Treasury would find itself really uh, unable to service the debt unable to meet all of the obligations that, that Congress has incurred. Is the United States unusual in having this debt ceiling policy where a legislature has to enact an increase to the debt periodically? Yes, it's, it's really not a normal thing for countries to have. In, in most countries, debt issuance seems to be thought of as a, as a ministerial function of, of the Treasury Department and not something that the legislature involves itself in much. So this is another aspect of America having an unusually powerful uh, legislature that gets involved in, in more activities than legislatures in most countries do. Um, but it is fairly clearly rooted in the Constitution that, that the U.S. Congress has to be involved. Now, it, it could it could just raise the limit really high. It could... Um, it could put in some sort of default rule that as long as we've passed spending laws, we're automatically authorizing the Treasury to sell enough debt such that we can spend all that money that we have voted in approval of. But we've never done that yet. And so the debt limit has been the way we've coped with this congressional involvement for the last century. It's worth pausing here to point out that the kind of function of spending seems to have three big legislative steps. Congress passes a law to authorize spending on a program or an agency or what have you. Then Congress passes another law to appropriate the actual 
you know, dollars that can the executive agency can, can then turn around and spend. But if it happens that the aggregate amount of those dollars, you know, exceeds the amount of revenues, well, you're going to have to take the next step to borrow. And in the olden days, as you referenced 100 years ago and, and earlier, Congress would just regularly pass these things ad hoc. Uh, but that became such a frequent thing, it probably made very little sense to spend that much time on the floor of both chambers having to push those bills through. So you just, let's just set a higher number and put it there. But that still is a third step. So instead of doing this third step, you know, every few weeks or every few months, it gets us, what, every year or so that we have to go through this, or two years or three years that we have to go through this debt limit situation? Yeah, and it's not always so newsworthy. Because sometimes neither party is all that interested in fighting over it, and Congress puts it through a raise of the limit in a bipartisan manner, and and life goes on as before. So it doesn't have to be a moment of drama, but ever since the standoff in 2011, especially, uh, there's been a lot of attention to the debt to the debt limit, and a lot of sense that this is just a fight waiting to happen every time we come up against it. Well, that nicely sets us up for my next question, which is, we often hear the demand by some elected officials, presidents, members of Congress, that they want a, quote, clean debt limit increase. What do they mean? And are these clean increases the norm? So a clean increase would be uh, if legislators introduced a bill that was very short and very simple, and all it did was raise the amount of money that the debt limit is set at, or something they've resorted to in recent years is instead of choosing an amount, a dollar amount, they suspend the limit until a certain date. And that's sort of a different way of getting at the same thing of saying, we're going to be able to issue the debt we need through this time period instead of up to this amount. And so Congress has sometimes passed bills that are more or less clean increases. I wouldn't say that's the norm, though. Most of the time, whoever is not in the White House uses debt limit raises as a chance to hold the White House's feet to the fire a little bit on spending that they don't like or on on debt accumulation generically. So if you go back to 2006, for example, uh, the Democrats gave the George W. Bush administration a, a bit of a hard time on raising the debt limit then it wasn't a big wasn't a big fight in the end the the republicans and democrats got together and, and passed it in the end but for example senators Joe Biden and Barack Obama I believe both voted against that increase as a way of sort of showing that they were unhappy about some of the spending that the Bush administration had put through so historically Going back many decades, yeah, the party out of the White House has used it as, as a way of uh, of raising some protests. Some some sort of perennial fiscal hawks have used it as a chance to raise alarms about the growing debt in America. So usually there's some kind of provision that needs to be attached to show that we're concerned about the debt, along with raising the debt limit. That's the that's the norm, I'd say. So yeah, I think it's worth. Pulling back here for a sec and noting uh, to listeners that when a bill is brought up for a vote in Congress, frequently that bill is com comprised of multiple pieces of legislation that have been bargained out. They're, they're put together as a package deal to 
build a majority. In other instances, a bill may be brought to the floor, but there's a shared understanding that other bills are also going to come hot on its heels and they're going to pass. So they're not formally packaged together, but they're understood to be put together. And that's how you, you build the majority. So you can have a clean debt increase in theory, but you could also have another bill that's going to be coming right behind it. That is a product of bargaining uh, with whomever is demanding uh, a side deal of some sort. So having said that, are these debt increase standoffs? You know, we want a clean increase. Or we're not going to take a clean increase. Is it bad for the legislators to bargain over this topic, seeing as debt is an important issue? Uh, fiscal responsibility is an important issue? It is a really strange way of trying to get control over our fiscal trajectory, I would say. Um, it seems like the spending and revenue decisions that we make are the things that actually set the course of the debt. And then coming on the back end and arguing over whether we should raise the debt limit is kind of a strange way to say that's how we should change the trajectory. Because in some sense, we all know we have to raise the limit. We're not going to let the country default on its debt. And so it's a strange bargaining game where everyone knows that the outcome is preordained, at least in that aspect of it. So the counterpoint, the reason why I would say a lot of fiscal conservatives say we, we need to fight over the debt limit today and, and in the future is that it's really pretty much the only gut check we have in the system right now. I mean, we have the annual appropriations process, but that only gets at about a third of federal spending. A lot of a lot of federal spending is on autopilot at this point. Our budget process, which is supposed to, on an annual basis, force us to take stock of where we're going, is pretty much, by all accounts, broken. Uh, it, it does not serve that that sort of big picture function, whatever else it may do. And so the d moments when we bump up against the debt limit, and we all know we have to raise it, they create the sort of one really must-pass time when we could all get together and think about what's happening with the United States accumulation of debt. And do we need to do something to change the path we're on? Uh, and, and certainly a, a lot of Republican legislators are very distressed about the, the fiscal path that we're on and want us to do something about it. But again, it's a strange, a strange negotiation to have where at the end of the day, everyone knows we have to raise the limit. That's clear. Our current spending and revenue raising practices are what's uh, creating the deficits and the compilation of de deficits are what creates debt and brings up the debt limit as an issue. And so it seems sensible that we should just like deal with the, deal with that other problem. But of course, the issue is, you know, we have this 50 plus year old Congressional Budget Act, which everybody agrees is, you know, we're Congress is just not following the act. Reality and what the provisions of the law say are just far, far apart. The incentive structure is all screwed up, so nobody's following it. But to replace it is a huge lift. You basically have to get a law through both chambers. It means a lot of people's uh, oxes are going to be gored. You've got appropriators, you know, they don't want to give up their power. You've got congressional budget committees. I mean, there's just a lot of players that you'd have to get. And so the debt limit to some degree, is kind of like a proxy for that. And it's easy because it's a straight vote, right? A single piece of legislation, and you can take a symbolic 
stand on either side of it. Uh, it might align with kind of party uh, branding or something like that. And is this in some way the dynamic similar to the whole kind of periodic fights we have over, you know, are we going to shut the government down? Well, I think you hit on it when you said this is a symbolic vote, an opportunity to make a symbolic statement. I think that's, in a sense, the problem with the way that we do things now, is that we have these fights around this largely symbolic matter, and we don't actually force ourselves to get to the substance in any kind of searching way. I think I think there's just, it's so much easier to let things go on the way they are going than to figure out a way to really reduce deficits and debt. Uh, it's just so much less resistance. And we don't have an imminent fiscal crisis in the sense that we're not drowning in our interest payments right now. Uh, I think inflation actually of recent years makes the problem a little, a little less acute, but we don't have any incentive to buckle down and fix things. And these problems get worse year by year. When we think about where we'll be in about a decade when you know, we've run into some very big problems with funding Social Security and Medicare under the current arrangements. And we're going to have a whole lot more debt by then because we run these roughly trillion dollar deficits every year these days. It's an ugly picture and we need to find some way of getting at the substance of it. And I, I you know, the, the folks who are enthusiastic about debt ceiling fights think that the debt ceiling is the tool that we can use to get at that substance. I'm, I'm just a bit skeptical. I think the track record over the past few decades when people have, you know, zealously pursued some of these debt ceiling fights is, is not, a, is not a good track record. We haven't stopped accumulating debt. We haven't really gotten to the substance in any really meaningful way. And so that's what worries me. Well, let me just close then. Should we just give up on these sort of big battles, uh, around the debt limit and just either repeal the need to have one or just set it at uh, you know a gajillion dollars that way it doesn't or is there something else we should do <laughs> gajillion is not a real number kevin <laughs> and so that might be legally problematic i i'm inclined to think that we should work hard to basically take the debt limit off the table but in the process of doing so put in some other mechanism that really forces us to reckon with the debt and to debate the debt in a meaningful way on an annual basis. And it's not entirely clear what that mechanism would be. And revamping the whole budget process, as, as Kevin alluded to earlier, is a really big lift. But I, I think, to, to my mind, we need to squarely confront the fact that the current system is broken. The, the current system includes this, this debt ceiling element that really doesn't fix everything and in, and in fact i think causes real distractions and of course does cause this risk that maybe we might default on our debt which is really would be really perverse so to my mind we really need to push for some better way of of handling our our fiscal processes we we do need to recognize that things are broken now and that we're on a bad trajectory but just having more debt ceiling fights doesn't really seem like uh a, a way of getting to a better place. All righty. Philip Wallach, author of the book, Why Congress? Thank you for explaining to us the congressional debt limit. 
Hello, this is Jeff Pickering, Director of Academic Programs here at AEI and host of the Campus Exchange Podcast. I want to take a moment to tell you about AEI's 2023 Summer Honors Program. This annual program is a unique, all-expenses-paid experience for undergraduates to study the pressing issues of our day with AEI scholars and other policy experts. This program will bring a couple hundred undergraduates from campuses across the nation and the world for week-long seminars taught throughout the month of June. Some of the courses we're offering this June will cover the changing nature of warfare taught by AEI's Corey Shockey, Polarization and Pluralism with David French of the New York Times, and the Foundations of Democratic Capitalism with AEI's Michael Strain. In addition to time in the seminars, students will also have opportunities to connect and network with other students, young professionals, and other experts across the political and policy spectrum. If you are a current college student or you know someone who may be interested, head on over to AEI.org or Google AEI Summer Honors to learn more and to apply. Applications are due March 15th. Thank you for listening to Understanding Congress, a podcast of the American Enterprise Institute. This program was produced by Jae-hun Lee and hosted by Kevin Kosar. You can subscribe to Understanding Congress via Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We hope you will share this podcast with others and tell us what you think about it by posting your thoughts and questions on Twitter and tagging at AEI. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great day.